what inspired me to teach was I just didn't have enough innovative young scientists coming through. <laughs> like, that's what inspired me to teach. I just didn't have enough of them. I was working in technology and environmental science and I just got so sick of young people not having the opportunities for the jobs that I felt like they should. There was all these amazing jobs and yet they just didn't hear about them until they were like 22. Why are we wasting all this time when you could be doing amazing things with technology right now and you just, you have no idea that it's even there. I, I was saying to quite a few of my teacher friends, it feels like we've lost a gear. Every teacher has that moment just before September where they get slightly nervous about going back, no matter how many years you've been doing it. I keep expecting to go back as if it's like I'm about to go back in September. It's like, like 2020 didn't happen and I've got this year that just disappeared. So it's been really challenging and it's just been so challenging, I think, for all teachers trying to navigate through this. If you were a teacher in 2020, 2021, then you deserve like a huge medal. <laughs> You're any teacher anywhere. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Talking Additive episode 23. Caroline Keep is a teacher at Pinketh High School in Warrington, UK. She is the director of Spark Pinketh, the first school makerspace in the UK. Caroline is nationally recognized for her work, having received the TES New Teacher of the Year Award, BMO 100, and EdTech 50 National Awards for her work on STEAM learning. Caroline is the co-founder of Liverpool MakeFest, a festival to promote science, technology, engineering, art, math, and maker education for young people. The festival has run since 2015 and attracts thousands of visitors annually. Not only has Caroline kept quite busy since she launched the Spark Pinketh Makerspace in 2018 with evangelizing her approach, helping other schools across the UK set up high-impact curriculum-embedded makerspaces, becoming the hub for innovation in their schools and communities, but she has also played a major role with policymakers in establishing education's response to COVID-19 and advocating for the return of hands-on project-based learning with the right safety mechanisms in place. I spoke with her several times over 2020 and 2021, including meeting with her remotely within her reopened makerspace, and you will not want to miss this episode. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing in their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within design, manufacturing, education, and our lives? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to the 23rd episode for the Talking Additive podcast. Talking Additive launches new episodes on Tuesdays every two weeks. Since 2011, Ultimaker has built an open and easy-to-use solution of 3D printers, software, materials, and support ecosystem that enables professional designers, engineers, and manufacturers to innovate every day. Ultimaker prides itself on solutions that are flexible, productive, and scalable. Its global team of over 400 employees work together to accelerate the world's transition to local manufacturing and digital distribution. Welcome to episode 23, Embedding STEAM Across the Curriculum with the 3D Makerspace. Our guest today is educator Caroline Keep, director of Spark Pinketh and co-founder of Liverpool MakeFest. Or in her words, educator, robot builder, 
general geek. That's it. That's, that's all I'm stood to say now. And the interview with Caroline Keep isn't all we have for you today. As always, at the end of the show, stick around after the theme music for our latest Ultimaker Innovator Spotlight bonus segment. This one features a return of a talking additive favorite, Ultimaker Innovator List honoree, Captain Brad Baker, creator of Makerspace USNA at the United States Naval Academy, featured in episode six, back in season one. And now, without further delay, Talking Additive's interview with Spark Pinketh director, MakeFest Liverpool co-founder, Caroline Keep. My name's Caroline Keep. I'm an educator. I teach and I specialize in ed tech. I teach digital skills. I'm the founder of the first makerspace in a school in the UK. So we put one into our school building, which now has been picked up by many other schools. And I work as well with the EdTech Advisory Forum, which is the government advisory body to the UK education system to talk about technology and things like that. I'm the founder of Liverpool Makefest and Makefest nationally in the UK, the biggest digital festival in the UK for makers that's rolled out across our national libraries. I'm most proud of my festival and I'm most proud of the work I do with young people. So rolling out digital pathways to introduce industry skills to young people. I, I love the interview that we, we did in December. And one of the things I wanted to point out is that at that time it felt like, oh yeah, COVID, it's almost done. And I bet 2021 is going to be a lot easier. And then it was not. Yeah, it um, was just so not. It was just not easier. We went right back into lockdown in Britain. So it basically yeah. went from, oh, I'm so excited. We're going to get going now to, oh, no, we're not. <laughs> it was, so we've just, we've just literally come out of lockdown now. Literally. So oh, it's been, we've been in all at home since just before Christmas and then straight till like the very end of March now. So we've just got to go back to school, which is great. So that's been really nice. I've, I've so enjoyed just getting back in the building with kids. So that has been an absolute pleasure. I was anticipating eagerly in January that we kick off on our 3D printing track and we're just about to kick off on our 3D printing track when we come back at the beginning of April. We're letting everybody bed in for a bit and get used to the new normal. And then I think we're going to be running some 3D printing projects with Create Education in chocolate making. I think we're going to do some chocolate making 3D printing workshops. I think everybody could use something exciting and it'll be just after Easter. Um, I'm looking forward to that and we're going to get our year sevens back on track with their introduction to Tinkercad and cards. I'm quite excited, but yeah, it was not how we expected at all. So it's been really challenging and it's just been so challenging, I think, for all teachers trying to navigate through this. If you were a teacher in 2020, 2021, then you deserve like a huge medal. <laughs> you were any teacher anywhere. <laughs> It makes perfect sense. You were making a case for this when we talked last time that just just even keeping it running and, and making it work for students is already like a stretch goal. <laughs> it's like, it, it was so challenging. And then when things got even more complicated and with people exhausted on top of it, it's been an epic marathon. Yeah, I know. And it feels like, I, I was saying to quite a few of my teacher friends, it feels like we've lost a gear. I keep expecting to go back as if it's like I'm about to go back in September. It's like like 2020 didn't happen and I've got this year that just disappeared. And like I'm expecting to go back. So every teacher has that pre-start pre, pre -start nerves 
to September, every teacher has that moment just before September where they get slightly nervous about going back, no matter how many years you've been doing it. And I feel like we're continuously in this zone of free nerve start. So it was so nice to just like, literally it was like last week to, to literally go back and be back in the building. And do you know what? The kids have been amazing. Our kids have been exceptional. They've just got in and got on with it. It looks a lot different in school than it used to. So we've got over here like lateral flow testing. So we're all testing all the time. And we've got lots of one-way systems and lots of rules and regs now to follow to make sure that we're really safe. But it's just been nice to just get in and, and teach and watch kids learn. Everybody's been super keen to get back. Our kids, our teachers, nobody wants to be off school. <laughs> You'd think it'd be, for young people, it'd be like, oh, I'm not going into school, this is brilliant. But I don't think anybody feels like that. I think maybe they felt like that at the beginning of 2020 for all of five minutes and then it was take me back. <laughs> so yeah, it's been an interesting ride for sure. That's amazing. I want to go back to the very beginning. I just wanted to, to start just right out with this. So what inspired you to teach? What inspired me to teach was that I just didn't have enough innovative young scientists <laughs> that's what inspired me to teach. I just didn't have enough of them coming through. I was working in technology and environmental science and I just got so sick of young people not having the opportunities for the jobs that I felt like they should. There was all these amazing jobs and yet they just didn't hear about them until they were like 22. Why are we wasting all this time when you could be doing amazing things with technology right now and you just, you have no idea that it's even there? And when I used to do outreach to universities and to schools, I used to find all these amazing young people. But then when I try and hire, they wouldn't be there. And, and quite often, they wouldn't know that was a career choice or option for them. When, when I'd go in and talk to people, they'd be, oh, I didn't realise that coding was a thing that anybody could do I didn't realize that 3D design was part of a real job so they just it, it was just not there at all I just absolutely loved teaching young people and at that stage it was university level and then I realized very quickly that they made all the important decisions already all the decisions about where they wanted to go and what they wanted to do with their lives had sort of been made at that point there's got to be an age at which those kind of decisions are kind of made. And I went to work in some primary schools and some secondary schools, and I found very quickly that it, it seemed to be about year nine, year eight, those kind of decisions get made. What kind of careers they want, what kind of professions they want to go into. And it's very much informed by primary school experience. You see the doctors, you see the firefighter come in with the fire engine, you see the paramedics, your teachers, your nurses, maybe a lawyer. You see certain professions show up in primary all the time, but you don't see a 3D designer turn up in primary school. <laughs> and, and I realised a lot of those traditional careers, lots of them are changing. They are not what they used to be. It, it became clear that the decisions got made in those younger years, the transition between primary and secondary. And if you could get to them then and give them a real range of careers, then they very quickly changed their mind over what they thought they were going to do. And, and children with an ambition for what they want to do in the future really makes a difference. It gives them an anchor in where they want to go and, and what they need to achieve in a real career path forward. At that point, it was like, 
I'm going to chuck in my job <laughs> and retrain as a teacher. To which everybody thought I was mad. Everybody thought I was mad. This is a crazy idea. And um, I went to work in a, a secondary school, a free school that was one of the leaders in the country that was very different. And just really loved it and then just never looked back. So that that's how I, I ended up in teaching. And I just found that I thrived in it. I did really well at it. And it was not one that I expected to do really well. I think I'd always wanted to be a teacher, but I'd always thought, I'll do that when I'm old. I'll do teaching when I'm really old and, and then I've got lots to give and then that's when I'll do it. And actually, I think young teachers have loads to offer. When I got into school, I was excited about physics. I was excited about STEM. I was excited about these cool projects I could do with kids. I'd probably say as well, I, I don't have enough makers who are teachers. I'd really like more if you're a maker who's thinking and wondering about how do I contribute or things have changed or I'm wondering about a job that I want to do and I don't know. Go into teaching. I know you don't have to go into teaching forever. I think we all think this as well. As much as I love it, nowadays I teach half of the time and half of the other time I work in technology. You know, I'm doing a, a master's in machine learning. I'm working on algorithms for improving um, outcomes for young people. But you don't have to do it forever. <laughs> I think we all have this idea that you've got to go into teaching and that's your life. That's how it's going to be forever. And, and actually, there's loads you can contribute to just go into teaching for a while. I'd probably say if you do, commit to five years. Give five years. You, you will thoroughly enjoy it. You'll learn absolutely loads. And not only that, as makers, we have a unique skill set to contribute to, to teaching in, in training other teachers, especially in things like 3D printing, in training in CAD, in, in expanding programs and maker spaces in schools, or in running them in schools. There's absolutely loads we have to contribute. But I think there's not enough of us. I, I know three <laughs> in the UK who are what I'd call educator makers. And, and at the moment, all three of us are working on quite a chunk of research now, having worked in making and teaching for a long time. But yeah, maybe three of us. So there's not many of us. And I think that during this pandemic, it's probably become really clear to everybody how essential Absolutely. it is to everybody's lives that we exist. So if you're out there and you're thinking about it, you have so much to offer teaching. This is my get into teaching pitch. So please consider it. I'm the director of our makerspace, but effectively I'm the maker of our school. Yeah, I think those roles are so crucial because teaching in a makerspace is totally different than teaching in a normal context. But I think that if you can learn both, it's even better because you really can translate it. And I think if you can do both, it puts you in such a strong position for technology and how we build products, product design, how products are pitched, how products are sold, how they're put together. And I think tech desperately needs that. Well, I want to hit two things, but first, so, so there's a resilience to the maker educators, the, those who, who have been grappling, particularly with all the constantly changing resources and, and abilities yeah. and, and interest from the students that guides a maker or somebody working in academic makerspace anyway, so that they have been really powerful forces for keeping classes and even students emotionally on track during COVID. 
mm. because they didn't need things to be as regimented as some of the teachers who are no. used to running their classes the same way and couldn't deal with the technology, change. the Zoom rooms. I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that. Yeah, there's been quite a lot of change. Uh, maker educators were so prepared for this. So yeah, what happened was a lot of us led the way for our school trust our school units. A lot of us led the way for how things had changed during COVID. But for us, things like online learning, we'd been prepping online learning for a lot longer than COVID. Because our school had a makerspace, all of our kids were well-versed in technology. They'd already done lessons on how to get on their teams, get on their emails. They'd already had how to do 3D printing, how to do creative design online, how to do videos. They already knew all of this, our students. So when COVID did happen, all of our students were so prepared to be online because they were like, oh yeah, we've done this in our Spark sessions. We all know how to log on. We all know how to get into here. We all know how to shoot videos for things. We all know how to submit work. Miss has already gone over that because quite often when you're doing extended projects, it doesn't just stop at school. <laughs> you, know, you don't just do an hour at school and then the project's over. What happens was for us, and we're a, a Microsoft Teams school, uh, we use Teams a lot because a lot of our kids start a project and then they'll take the stuff out of the makerspace and go spend five days working on it at home and then bring it back and they'll take photos and, and take videos of it to send to us. So we were using that already. So for us, it, it was really sw a swift transfer. But when I did a lot of the reports, I'm part of the Education Advisory Forum for the UK for EdTech. And it, it's made up about 25 of the leaders in EdTech in the UK. And we went out and did a very long report on um, COVID and, and it's called EdTech 2025 on what EdTech needs to be for us to progress. And that was the top range of the experience. The very top of the experience was, I've got to make a space. We already include digital technologies as a pathway. We already have a digital strategy. We know exactly what we're doing with this. We can just move everything online. And then... The very, very bottom, the experience of, I'd like to say it was a few schools, but I feel like it was a majority of schools, was we have no idea. We don't have the technology. Our kids don't have the technology in, at home. We don't have the digital access. They don't have the laptops. We don't know how to put a lesson online. We don't know how to translate teaching to online. Uh, and we're stuck. We, we, we've got nothing. We don't know. We've shut the school gates and none of us have anything at the moment to offer and we're, we're not sure how to progress. And that really was the experience. And it was anywhere between those two. So there were schools that just didn't send anything out and then quite a lot that went to sending out paper. So I've got friends who sent out paper resources because their area was so uniquely deprived that there was no possibility for them to get everybody online. So the better solution was to go door to door with paper packs to get kids learning. And then there was others that maybe they had 30 laptops in the building and maybe they could get them out and maybe the rest of the kids make it work. And then there was others that were completely, everything was online. They'd already invested in that. They'd managed to get the money together for it. So they had everything. And it's well through these ranges. The, the amount of technology that was needed, the government here made a big push to get laptops to kids and they invested. But at the time that they did that, we were already in a global pandemic. And, and trying to get a laptop for a kid to learn was like gold dust. 
So they really struggled to get him. The PPE of 2020 was the laptop scramble of 2021, really. <laughs> that's where we ended up. And, and that's how it's been. The, the upskill for teachers across the UK has been vast. Everybody's raised the game. Everybody knows how to get online, do lessons online. And we had some amazing stuff come through from teachers like Oak National Academy, which is now government backed. It was a, basically a giant online teacher-led, teacher-organised service for kids to access. We had absolutely loads from the BBC come out. So everybody went out of their way to really help us and that, that was really welcomed. I think now we have had this giant upskill of teachers, suddenly there's a real appetite for what's beyond that, what's beyond the sudden standard online lesson. I was speaking to the guys at Create Education this week. They're really the people in 3D printing in the UK. They're amazing. And I was speaking to them and saying, guys, can we put together like big training for people? <laughs> because I'm getting bombarded with requests now. I find like everybody's had this upskill experience and now everybody's going, right, now we can do that. We really want to offer something at summer that's like going to get them into doing English and maths, but is also interesting. And we really want to offer some summer schools and we really want to offer some extra enrichment. So what's the next step above? I did online lessons and they went really well. And I'm finding lots of people are coming and going, oh, Caroline Key runs that makerspace. So she just like a digital pathway, doesn't she? That prepares kids for digital. So all of them are going, how did you do this? I'm finding there's a lot more appetite for digital now. And whether it be 3D printing or coding or makerspaces and makerspace workshops, the appetite for it is immense. I'm, I'm on a call this afternoon with another teacher and, you know, Fridays is my the one day I don't work in school. <laughs> and I'm on it this afternoon with another teacher at another school, talking them through setting up theirs. So there seems to be a big appetite for it. But I think there's some hesitance about it as well. They really want this. And all of them, now they've got enough of the skills, they really want more now. But I think a lot of them are, are quite worried about running practicals right now. There's been some talk among quite a lot of us from the, the EdTech Advisory Forum about saying we're going to be running hands-on practicals and be visibly seen doing it. Because the guidance is there from the Department for Education, it's strong, we can all run practicals still. There's no reason to stop practicals just because we're in a pandemic. We've worked out how to run them now, so we should put them back. My fear is you're gonna get two types. A whole bunch of people who are gonna run the practicals and be really confident in it and start running 3D printing workshops and getting all the kids online and getting them doing interesting stuff. And a whole bunch will be, I'm a bit scared of running things because I have to pass things between students or pass things to each of them. So what I'll do is I'll just do everything on paper. I won't run anything. So you're getting a kind of two-tier system at the moment and we need to get away from that. I went in school like this week and, and last week and was unindated by a whole bunch of kids going, Miss Keep, when are you running our sessions? <laughs> like, okay. Miss Keep, when are the sessions starting? Like, when are they starting? When are they starting? I was like, guys, they're starting like next week. We're starting with year seven next week. I promised you they were starting. We're not stopping them, we're starting them. And it was because a lot of them really need that enriching project-based different type of teaching now. It's really good for your mental health. It's really good for stability form. It's really good for you as a teacher. So they really want it like now. There's a real, 
demand from young people that they don't want everything to be swept away in favour of English and maths and science at a kind of level. And I know all of us as teachers are like, oh my God, we really need to concentrate on those English, maths and sciences because they have lost so much learning. But I think to just concentrate on them would be really disadvantaging your students. They need much more than that right now. They need the kind of confidence building that comes from project building and and that kind of, you know, the benefits to mental health that comes from project building, to be sociable with their friends as well. So it's a bit of both. So please don't get rid of your projects or your workshops or your summer schools or your interesting things. Now they need them more than they did before. And that seems to be the experience all around. Everybody's saying it. So we've got a big push in the UK for summer schools. I'm going to be running one. I'm going to probably run one with our, our Warrington libraries or our school itself, you know, and run a summer school programme. As I said, I'll probably do mine in maybe chocolate workshops or maybe some workshops I was thinking of running that would be like phone stands or bookmarks or things that they can build that they might like to get to groups with 3D printing to start with. But something exciting so that it's it, it'll get them in and get them re-engaged because a lot of them have found this really hard. The teachers and the students have been at home quite miserable about this, I think. I think that's not quite come across sometimes, that none of us are really happy about it. Nobody's been really allowed to be very messy at the moment. And it's one of the things I love in my makerspace. Our, our space has no rules regarding mess. Ours is a proper messy space. We put down big sheets and we write on tables and we make it messy and i think it's important for us because we're so neat everywhere else so i want to give them the opportunity oh, to yeah. be messy again because they've been in classrooms being exceptionally neat in their workbooks for a good two three weeks now but just really nice and getting it all done and it looks all beautiful and then i, I kind of want to get them back in the maker space so they can write on a table and make a mess and see what the mess ends up as so i think yeah chocolate or soap might be nice yeah soap Soaps, they could get, they could probably run a business with soaps. <laughs> okay, I like the entrepreneurial part of it. We're always encouraging whatever they make that they set it up as a business. And I did, I was talking recently to, to an interviewer who was asking me about intellectual property rights because apparently I was one of the few teachers that talks about intellectual property rights <laughs> as part of our pathway. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, of course we do. We talk about intellectual property rights, copyrights, how to set up your own business, how to go through the, the process of that. We tend to, if we've got kids who are setting up a business, we tend to send them out to our um, intellectual property and business um, centre at Liverpool Library where they can get some advice and guidance and figure out all the forms and everything. I was saying this and then I suddenly realised like this really, they really don't do this in other schools, do they? And she was like, we really want other schools to do this from the, the IP office. And I was like, yeah, actually, that would probably be a good idea. How do we encourage entrepreneurship if they don't know even what forms to fill or how that works? We've had quite a few of, of my young people. One of them's massively into, we did a spate of 3D printed jewellery wearing. I think I'm wearing, I've I put one on, one on today. I quite one-sided. I'm a little lopsided thing, but I love to wear them. And we had a spate of jewellery. So she absolutely loves doing hers. So she's been working on setting up her business now for that. And she's like 15. So we've got quite a lot of them that love to get to groups with it. I really love 3D printing jewellery with girls. They absolutely love it. They absolutely love it. And I love incorporating electronics into it. 
So we're doing quite a spate of them. So they've been doing a lot of that at home at the moment. So everybody's desperate to get in to start running off some of the designs that they've got and they've been developing over that time and, and see what we've got to grips with and how our little group will go. But I think, I think I'm think i going to restart the specific enrichment, our, our 3D printing um, we a 3D printing wearables group we have. So it, it's all about things that light up, things that can be worn, things that can be 3D printed, and, and they just really love it. We always get badges and light up badges and earrings and bracelets and things like that. So I, I've missed that group. So I think I'm going to, when I go back, I'm going to next week have, I've put down that's the one I want to do. And to be honest, I was thinking this might be a good one actually maybe later. When, I, when I'm back in, if you want me to do a bit of filming at our space with you, I'm quite happy to do so. I'll let you know when I'm back in my space. We'll learn more about Caroline Keep and Spark Pinketh when we return. This is Matt Griffin, host of Talking Additive Ultimaker's 3D Printing Podcast. Last week, the Talking Additive team participated in the first ever Ultimaker Transformation Summit. We postponed our 23rd episode until this week because I and my fellow Talking Additive producers were presenting the conference taking place within this virtual open house environment. While the official summit days have passed, it is still possible if you hurry to visit the summit environment to get a taste of the magic that took place on April 20th through 23rd, now on demand. Head over to ultimaker.com forward slash summit, register to enter if you haven't already, and race over to that little kiosk that says agenda right in front of the main conference screen. You can then dial up each of the sessions of the conference or explore the Ultimaker environment to discover loads of value from the application story videos to the customer audio portraits and more. Enjoy talking additive. We'd appreciate it if you would subscribe and please post a review to Apple Podcasts or wherever you prefer listening. And we encourage you to catch up on past episodes with some of our favorite Ultimaker Innovators List guests, including Matthew Forrester at L'Oreal, Matt Terosian from Jabel, Yob Van de Sand from Eric's, and more. We now return to our interview with Caroline Keep, and if you will indulge me with this, Caroline will now take us on a little audio tour of Spark Panketh, captured while she was giving me a laptop webcam tour of the space. Welcome to Spark Penketh at Penketh High School. This is our school makerspace. Right, here you go. So this is our makerspace, Spark. This is our giant table. Our kids uh, designed this, they spray painted it. And this is normally my office corner with all our assortment and our big screens. This is our storage space for things like material in and paints lives over there. You describe it as being a place where it's safe to be messy, but actually it's one of the cleanest yes. maker spaces I've seen in a while. <laughs> really? Oh, to be honest, it's really clean at the moment because I've just prepped it ready for the next sessions. Because we're in the era of COVID, my general mess has become a lot less mess than it used to be. It used to be much more messy, but actually I've had to thin down the amount of mess that I can tolerate in our space just because it's got to be really that clean. So one of the things that I did at the beginning of COVID, if I show you that now, is all our benches, we laminated. That sounds really crazy, but we did. Mm. We, <laughs> we laminated all the benches in our rooms 
so that we could make sure that they were really easy to clean down because we've got very old vintage benches from when we first started that we reclaimed and reused uh, and they're not really useful for when you're trying to disinfect everything. So we laminated all the benches and all the work surfaces in the entire space so that they could be easily wiped. So th there's quite a few changes gone on in here since COVID hit. So it, it's probably a lot cleaner than it normally right. is. Yeah, no, that makes sense. This is our giant box system, which gives you lots of things like solar, hack box, our paper, our card, and that goes all the way through to our space. So if you've got some kind of boxes that you can get together and hack for things, then that works very nicely. This here, again, more box systems. You can never have enough of them. I'm having to move around here. Uh, but it was really great to see like those the big bins that you were talking about as being the instant ways oh, yeah. to bring things in. Uh... Me and my giant bins. Yes. Caroline's giant bins. In fact, I should be able to grab one, actually, if I can. So this bin is cardboard robots. That's what's in this bin. It's bodies for cardboard robots so that you can get them. These are really good. You just put them together, you put your motors and your wheels in. So we have those kind of boxes we got from Ikea. And that unit actually used to be lockers and we reclaimed them, took off the doors and then put boxes in them. All of them are kind of boxes. You can probably see we've got dev kits and Lego and tissue and rulers and plastic bags and felt and tape and all kinds and some drop boxes in there that are kind of projects halfway through it just saves organization that sounds really awful but i'm a lazy organizer these are really simple because you can just ditch everything straight in the box and then it's done and to be honest if you've ever been in a classroom and you're trying to find some tape midway through a project it's just no good fun so we just hoard all the tape all the pens everything just all of it together in the one box so there's no confusion and it, it all goes back in there simply and it's really good because when we get our kids in they clean up dead quick because one of the first things we do is get them accustomed to the the use of the space and how the space is organized and because everything's labeled they do it for you so you just say to everybody just clean up and everybody cleans up really quickly because it's all really organized for you so you don't have to think too much about it but yeah they're really useful box systems but we keep a lot of things like our electronics rack is really, it's thin at the moment. That's the wall that we normally put our electronics on. And it, it's quite, it's been thinned down due to COVID because I didn't want to clean too many things with disinfectant. At the moment, it, it's a pretty thin wall, but I've tried to keep some of the joy of it. Nice. And then we have big orange units in this corner that really are the, the hardcore electronics. So they keep all the little spaces and boxes and things like that. Where are so the uh, 3D printers? Uh, the 3D printers normally live here. I've got one at the moment, but as you've seen from my interview, my two Ultimakers are out at the moment. They're going to get service before we restart the right. 3D printing module. Normally they sit along this row. Yep. And then quite often they live over in this window. So depending on what project we're doing and when, depends on where they'll live and quite often we move them around across our schools they come in and out of spaces so they either are all living here for 3d printing module or are living in dt and it and in science and then come back so they rotate they get around our printers 
<laughs> and, and they do get around really well for things that we didn't expect, things like science for users, our printers for various projects that they want to do. And, and we use them for the cell project and, and DT them use them a lot for coursework. I'm trying to get maths into using them so that we've got a couple of projects that I've got lined up next year that are math based ones. But quite often during the summer break, the 3D printers all come live with me. And then during the summer, I 3D print resources. So I just get up in the morning on my summer in between when I'm doing marking because a teacher never seems to be off. And then what I'll do is I'll put a set of prints on for science or biology or whatever it is that needed them. And then we'll just run them out across that day and then they're done. Quite often you don't get a chance to 3D print resources in general for school during school time. It just doesn't happen. So if you schedule it in to print them over your vacations and things like that, kind of makes a difference it also saves your school a lot of funds you can 3d print test tube racks 30 of them in a couple of days and then that saved your school a whole bunch of funding ordering those kinds of things that makes a massive difference to a school and you can bespoke those kind of resources as well so quite often i'll sit down with the science team or the dt team or the geography team and they'll be like we've got an idea that we want this and sometimes i'll design it and print it and sometimes it'll be like oh there's one on thing first we'll just run those you know test tube racks out for you it, it can be a bit of a push especially if you're a teacher like me but if you're a dedicated one and you're quite happy first thing in the morning to just put your printer on it's not that bad, and it, it does make a, a massive difference to to your school, to your budget, to how it works. So when the printers go out and travel around the school, do you have them on carts? Do you have like ways that you suggest like setting them oh, up? Our or? poor maintenance team. God love our poor maintenance team. So my maintenance team come and move our printers quite a lot. We do have a little cart for them. We have a, a trolley for our printers. And our maintenance team come and shift things for me. So they brought this one, just come back in. So it was in DT, so they must have moved it here for me. I just leave them notes that say, can you move this printer to here for me? And now they've got used to all the printers. We're still deciding on names for some of them because we figured actually it'd be easier if we just settle with names for things. And then that way it could it shift but we tend to just call them what they are two pluses are two plus can you go move the two plus from the spark down to science or from dt into mfl it depends on where it's living but i tend to just leave a note for them that's great <laughs> that sounds really <laughs> awful but they're a very dedicated team our services maintenance team and we've got quite a big site so this is just one end of the corner of our school you, you kind of need a maintenance team that kind of big but Having moved a lot of printers myself from when I was in much smaller schools, get a trolley. It's just, it's easier and quicker. Just get a little trolley. It's well worth it. And then that way you can just put it on and shift it. A lot of our printers do trips in cars as well. They do out trips. Our printers do outreach. They do outreach with our libraries and our primary schools. So quite often they'll end up strapped in the back of a car off to visit a primary school to do some primary printing and then come back and so what we do then is we just strap it to a trolley put it in the back of mrs car put a seat belt around him and then when we get to the primary i'll just lift it out put it back on the trolley trips into the primary do some printing with them so we do they, they get out and about our printers but they really do we don't i've got very much a saying um if it's not being used by us then it should be being used by somebody so I tend not to like to leave kit not being used, especially things like 3D printers, because there's definitely a use for them everywhere. So if I'm not printing, 
then either it's out in service or it's being used by somebody else. So we did a lot where we took our printers out to our local libraries and we did a whole bunch of printing with elderly people in Kerham residence and did a whole bunch of printing with some people that, that were in, in elderly people in homes. And they absolutely loved it. They loved 3D printing. So much so that we did a bid with Warrington Libraries so that they could take our expertise and they could get some funding and then they could set up their own printing group. So they've now got their own printer. But for a while, they borrowed one of ours to just get them going. And that seems to be something that we do quite a lot, actually. So we'll loan ours out so you can get a project going. And then once you've got a bit of evidence that the project's working will help you sort a bid yeah. so you can get some funding to keep that project going. Great. So just lending out your kit and your expertise is really good for your communities to do. So yeah, they're, they're on tour quite a lot, to be honest. <laughs> That's an amazing story. And, and it speaks mm -hmm. to that a, a lot of labs around, are they're just gearing up, are barely finding the solutions for how to serve their community. But it feel, I feel that yours has really already flipped things around. And, you know, you have students out there instructing, you, you go and you, you help projects happen in your community. I think that's amazing. Yeah, we're, we're super keen to get going. This is our stack of our vacuum formers, our bandsaws, but also the stack where we keep a lot of our project-based stuff. So you've got things like our pie traps in there, our projects in there, our sensors. If I just move around here, Matt. This is, yeah, storage. Get ready for the endless storage. It's really important to label everything. As you can see, pretty much everything is labeled within an inch of its life in our space. These kind of big storages are really useful. We have a lot of them. And these are things like our robotics lives down here and things like our pies live down there. Um, then we've got, normally there's some kind of skirt project going on here. So we do something along if we want to do dresses or anything. But at the moment, my welding hat's living on there. These are things like our drone-based projects. Drones live here. If you have a fun look in our drawers, you can see like halfway drone builds. They'll be half in the projects of drones that are being built at the moment. Then we have things like these. These are a lot of our Arduinos or H-bridges or batteries, Burr conductives, Raspberry Pis, HDMIs, Arduino boards, Arduino shields. So they all live on the kind of back rows. Um, then we have more saws, more nails. And these I like to keep here just so that the things that I know that could be possibly dangerous, so that this one is one of those zones that nobody's allowed to go into unless you've spoke to me, because it's things like snips or screwdrivers, pliers, things that normally need a bit of safety advice before they use them. And then we've got, I think these are our press drills and our power cables, and we keep a lot of our robots, I believe, in here. So things like endless supplies of robotics live in here for students so that they can use them. That's our main room where most of our students live. But then I'll give you a sneak peek in some of our back rooms. These are kind of our big back rooms that involve our big presses. We generally do these with students so students tend not to go in those rooms. We tend to order for, I wanted this piece of wood cut on the big cutter. You know, can you get that for me? So they tend to be used that way. And then next door gives us some more room. So we've got things like next door, we've got 
another lab space and then we've got a raspberry pi room that's just full of pies and laptops and then we've got a laser cutting room and a 3d printer in there so that's like a little tour of our space but that should give you a good feel for how it all works. <laughs> that's fantastic yeah thank you for doing that for those of you who would like to see the space a little more closely we will include a few photos of the spark Pinketh makerspace in our episode show notes when we launch the full transcript later this week and now we will return to our sit-down interview with Caroline. To be honest, our space is so reclaimed, it's just not even funny. <laughs> I said to my head teacher, I'd really like to do this kind of little project. And he was like, what is it, Cars? And I was like, I'd really like to set up a makerspace. And he was like, I have no idea what that is. And I was like, I will show you. So <laughs> I was really fortunate that John's one of the uh, youngest heads in the country, John Carlin. Mm -hmm. our head teacher at school so we had a lovely moment where he was so nice he was all right you want to show me what a makerspace is and i said yeah so there's two community spaces in liverpool so would you want to go visit one they're incredible makerspaces but they're, they're adult community makerspaces and i dragged my head teacher and several of our staff over there and i was like this is what i mean and they were like oh my god we really need one <laughs> but they didn't really have a space we weren't going to like build another block for me so he was like, I've got this kind of like block at the end that's like where the DT suites used to be and stuff. But like one of the rooms really isn't used anymore. And he took me into it and he was like, I'm a bit embarrassed. It probably won't be what you want. And it, he took me in. It was a complete mess. I'll send you a photo. It really was. <laughs> I said, just give me like three, four days off timetable and just let me clean it. Just give me skip yeah. space and let me clean it. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, this will be perfect. And he was like, but it hasn't got all the new things. And I was like, no, you don't want a, a space that's clean and new. You want one that's messy and old and, and reclaimed. That's what you want. And he was like, really? I think anybody who's a maker probably appreciates this. Quite often you see lots of big corporations decide that they're going to do a makerspace or innovation lab or some kind of lab of some variety. And they spend millions of pounds designing a lab and then nobody shows up. <laughs> or nobody goes to it nobody uses it i think sometimes it's because it's too clinical or too clean and then you lose that sense of creativity that comes from mess so our space is truly reclaimed so yeah we have all these old big dt benches that were used like back in the arc it must have been like the 70s when these benches came about we sanded them and cleaned them up and put them all together and then we spray painted tables with spark on the name and basically just redid it we just repainted spray painted me and all the kids cleaning it all out and then when we were finished it looked amazing and everybody was like wow this is a really cool space and you all had not only reclaimed it but you'd really made it it's a space for and by uh, yeah. all the students there yeah it was their space then they yeah. decided what we were going to paint and what we were going to get rid of and what we were going to keep and how it was going to be designed and how it was going to be laid out it, it was everything was really reclaimed and also it meant that our makerspace started with no funding there was no funding involved in our makerspace it was everything was recycled reclaimed we had a whole bunch of kit that was from every other department in school it didn't start from oh we have a whole bunch of funding and i think sometimes starting from a whole bunch of funding isn't a good place to start and that sounds really awful because i know everybody wishes they have all this funding right to start oh i wish i could get all the kids to set up and make a space and do it 
But actually, I think if you don't and you go from the zero and beg, borrow and steal on the way up and see what people donate and what people give, you, your community develops along with your kit. You know what I mean? So you build your community as you build your, your capabilities. By the time we got to buying our first Ultimaker and then we ended up with our first one, which is behind me. These two are these two are off to, to get service this week in, in preparation for my 3G printing because I've got two in there and I've got two here. So the minute that we first started to, to get into that, like our kids built the original, you started to get this point where they were building the community as they got into the printing part because they were, they built this one with Creator Education. So they got to meet everybody there, got to see all the printers and got to do the whole process. So I think what happens is you build your community as you go. And if you concentrate on the easy things to start with, then the more difficult things come later. So that first step of starting with cardboard, which is my favorite tool, cardboard, and if you can get some micro bits, a few of them that aren't that expensive. They're a really easy one to start with. Once you've got that, you've got the makings of some cool projects. I think there's a problem also with how do you convince like a head who has no idea or not enthusiastic in this and you, they're not sure how to do any of this. And, and I think once you start building those simple projects that didn't cost anything and, and you get them out kind of make furs and, and you get them out online and you get them out showcasing them, you'll find that there's a lot of support for those kinds of things. And that helps then make the case for your own makerspace. Because then you're like, wow, look at the response we got to this. Actually, can I have 500 bucks? Because I could do a bit of 3D printing. Could I have this? Because I could do this. And then before you know it, you've got our entire space dedicated to it. But having a space doesn't restrict it to its maths, its science. When we do our first 3D printing session, the first one they get with me, we talk about design thinking, we talk about nets, how to use a net is really crucial that they get that. So that and maths, we do a little maths in that one. So they have an idea when they're doing things in CAD, how they could use cardboard and paper to mock it out. Because that, that proves really tricky later on if they don't have that skill. So we do a lot of network. And then we introduce how they use a printer. We go through what all the buttons are, what all the things are. We do it, I've got another... Uh, Ultimaker MySpace and, and currently I've got two others so we'll go through each printer. This is the printer, this is the buttons you press, this is how it works, this is how you do the file. We design like a basic design and then we put it on the printer. And normally I do ones like a bookmark or like a simple design to start with and then what we do is we, we do it all and then that day the printer runs their printer and then they get delivered to them in form later on. So that's the first thing we do. But alongside that, we also talk about all the careers that are in 3D printing. One of the things I show is the, the Autodesk design reel for that year. We, we show that every year where we say, these are some of the projects that Autodesk that used CAD. Uh, we talk about Marvel movies. We talk about game design. We talk about vets. The 3D printed duck feet is a favorite project to quote. We talk about sciences. We talk about bones, medicine, we talk about pretty much all of the variety of careers that are in 3D printing. It's not just, I made this product. So we, we cover all of them in that first one. And one of the challenges I normally give that year seven class, and I'll 
be doing it this week is uh, I normally say to them, give me a job and I'll tell you how 3D printing is involved in it. So we have this game and we get it every year. They'll go, what about footballers? That's always a favourite to ask me. What about footballers? And actually quite a lot of the football boots these days are designed in CAD. The Adidas football boots are designed in CAD. And every year I sit there and I have to prepare myself a little to see what projects are out there before I ask this question. But every year I fail to come up with one that isn't there. And it means that when they look at uh, that when they look at careers, every career from that moment on, that every career they come across from that moment, I try and encourage them, and they do do it, where they go, how does 3D printing incorporate into that career? And, and I say it because I point out to them that you may become a veterinary surgeon, or you may become a dentist, or you may become a doctor, or you, you may become an engineer, or a fire truck person, or whatever career you go into. If you take 3D printing with you to that career, you will be outstanding in that career. You will be one of a kind in that career because there is probably not many people doing that and not many people bringing that skill set to it. So no matter what career you pick, if you take 3D printing to it, you'll become world-class at it. So think about where you want to go and take 3D printing with you. And I think that helps a lot with them when they start picking because then they start going... I really want to become, I really want to become a, a pediatric, you know, nurse. And I was then thinking about pediatrics and 3D printing. You're like, oh, okay, I know a place at Alder Hay Hospital that does that. <laughs> so it changes the conversation. And also they start thinking about it differently. One of my students started doing some of the splint projects on hands because he's trying to help his granddad with arthritis and he wants to go into that kind of 3D printing. And they stop thinking of 3D printing as a career thing. So I know we talk about it as a career thing, but it isn't really a career thing. It's a every career thing. And I think that's how we have to treat 3D printing differently than the others. We hope that you have enjoyed our 23rd episode for the Talking Additive podcast, embedding STEAM across the curriculum with the 3D makerspace, featuring the dynamic educator Caroline Keep, director of Spark Pinketh, and co-founder of Liverpool Makefest. Stick around after the theme music for our Ultimaker Innovator Spotlight featuring Captain Brad Baker and the Makerspace USNA. If you have any questions about any topics covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn to hashtag Talking Additive, all one word. In two weeks, we will return with episode 24, which explores 3D printing software at work in the manufacturing transformation. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and listen to the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at talkingadditive.com. Thank you again to Caroline Keep for joining us for episode 23. Our series producer is Hannah Gabrielle Takini, studio manager David Roberson, executive producer Nuno Campos, music and sound mix by Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer Matt Griffin. And thank you for listening. Psst, wait, don't leave now. In Talking Additive episode 18, we introduced a recent project that is near and dear to our hearts, the Ultimaker Innovators List. 
If you haven't yet had a chance to explore this online project, head over to ultimaker.com forward slash innovators to see the list that we unveiled on December 15th, 2020. This project will be an ongoing Ultimaker-wide effort to put the spotlight on individuals or groups across the world who we believe are using 3D printing to transform the way people work, think, and live. Throughout the year, we will return to this list to highlight more of these Ultimaker Innovators interviews as we advance our way towards the launch of our 2021 Innovators list at the end of the year. Today, our Innovator Spotlight falls upon Captain Brad Baker, a past guest of Talking Additive who I spoke with back in Episode 6 in Season 1. Captain Baker is the creator of Makerspace USNA, where he introduces students at the United States Naval Academy to additive manufacturing technology. 3D printing is an area of strong interest to the U.S. Navy and Department of Defense, noticing the opportunity to provide students there a prototyping and instructional space to help them master the subject and leverage this capability for other coursework and projects, Captain Baker began to lay out plans for what eventually became Makerspace USNA. I reached out to Captain Baker for a brief COVID-era update, and without further ado, here is his Innovator Spotlight. My name is Captain Brad Baker. I am a permanent military professor at the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, and I teach mechanical engineering and nuclear engineering students at the United States Naval Academy. We use 3D printing in two different ways in the Naval Academy. First is from a completely pedagogical perspective, meaning that we are trying to uh, train future Naval officers on 3D printing technology and how it might be useful to them in their uh, Navy and Marine Corps careers. And then secondly, we use 3D printing so that students can actually accomplish other project objectives. For example, every engineering student completes a year-long capstone project, and in many of those projects, they use 3D printing to actually produce some device or some component for their uh, capstone projects. So bottom line, we use it from a teaching perspective and then also from an actual construction perspective to support other projects. Most of the students use it from a prototyping perspective, meaning that they are trying to design some component for their project or make some design function for some other application. So they use 3D printing as a way to test that out, to get form and fit down. And then maybe, depending on what the actual project is, maybe actually get the function aspect too. We use uh, Ultimaker S5 as a pro bundle, meaning it has a material station and uh, air manager. We went that route because of the digital factory approach that Ultimaker uses, and it really is quite effective. So first off, the Ultimaker printers print very well, like on their own. They're very good printers, very reliable. Our failure rates are quite low. We like all the features, uh, heated bed is important, multi-extruder is also important, build volume is nice, but the driving factor has been that digital ecosystem that Ultimaker has made for the S5 line. It works really well. So in my lab right now, we have four pro bundles. I'm guessing right now we probably have somewhere around 12 to 15 materials that are readily available, meaning there is a printer that's loaded with PLA, one that's loaded with ABS, one that's polycarbonate, one that's polypropylene, the full gamut, nylon. I, I honestly think we've tried just about everything. I think I'm pretty confident we've tried everything that Ultimaker directly brands. We've branched off into some third-party brands. So all those materials are literally and figuratively a click away. And students, all they have to do is select them and the ecosystem does the rest. There's no other system that we have that operates that same way. And it's 
quite honestly, it's really hard to match. It's definitely the highlight of the lab is that ability for a digital factory. Everything has been more difficult as far as uh, uh, being able to get students in person. Uh, so it's been challenging from that regard. What I will say, however, though, is, is some ways it, it's actually made the pandemic a little bit easier because a lot of things can be done remotely. And I actually built my lab from the beginning to be able to be done remotely. Now, I didn't do it with this being the, the intended uh, vision, but students are able to do all their own CAD and all their own design. It used to be they would then just come to the lab and actually print it. Now, instead, what they have to do is they have to provide their files to us or make their builds electronically and then send it to us and then we do them. Although we are getting back to where our students can actually come in the lab. It's just a little bit more of a controlled environment. So what I will say is actually, although we've been affected, We've been not as affected as some other areas. To learn more about Captain Brad Baker and Makerspace USNA, visit them at makerspaceusna.com. Thank you very much for listening. On Talking Additive, we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.